Good morning, everyone. Welcome to St. Luke's Sunday Forum. We are so thrilled you're here in downtown Atlanta. And we are receiving all of these wonderful guests who are visiting us. And we're thrilled to welcome all of you to this. Now, let me tell you about this most unique conversation that we're having for the Sunday Forum. Part and parcel of St. Luke's Church in Atlanta is our gospel of big love, which means having a big tent and making sure that people have the safety and freedom to disagree with one another about any number of issues, theological, political, cultural, whatever, when they are at St. Luke's. So we're thrilled, we're thrilled, we're thrilled you're here. And I am excited that Brian Benedict is my guest because Brian and I had an amazing big tent conversation about three or four or five months ago. It was before the pandemic. And it was all at his instigation. And it was just a thrilling thing. And I've had so many questions from people. How do you have conversations with people in a very polarized culture and talk about things with which you disagree without taking it personally, without dragging one another down, without attacks and blaming and attacking. So I said, ah, I need to ask Brian if he and I can reprise this amazing conversation we had before the pandemic. And he agreed, he's such a generous guy. And he agreed, <laughs> and here we are. We're gonna go back over some material that he and I went over at lunch that day, but also elaborate on it. And it all had to do with the fact that he and I had very, very different experiences during the Vietnam War. He was an ar army officer. I had been an army officer and he served and I became a conscientious objector. So that's enough for right now. But now let me simply welcome Brian and ask you, Brian, to introduce yourself in terms of two things, if you don't mind. How long you have been and your family has been at St. Luke's and then what you do in the world, uh, you and Claire. So welcome, Brian. Thank you, Ed. And the second question was, what do I do in the world? Yeah, yeah. What, 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 what have you done to amass that great wealth that you have in your life? <laughs> I trick people. <laughs> like you. Exactly. You better believe it. <laughs> right, so I, I'm a lifelong member of St. Luke's. My family has been a member of St. Luke's since the late 1890s when my grandfather moved to Atlanta from um, New Bern, North Carolina, out of the coast of North Carolina, and after he graduated from the University of North Carolina. He was a lawyer and came here, practiced law for years, and was just, was 99 when he died in 1971, I think it is. Wow. And he was, uh, uh, he was the senior warden, I believe, during his term, and, and I think he was the founder, maybe, of the sinking fund. That's not the right name for it. But my, my aunts and my, my parents, aunts and uncles and parents were all members. And my brothers and first cousins have been long members. Um, I, let me make one correction. It said that I was, an, I was an officer. I was not. I was an enlisted man. Which, oh. And the story that he tells and the story that I tell, being an officer and being an enlisted man are really opposite ends of the spectrum. So that's, that's kind of an important of the, of, of the many differences that we have in our experience. 
that that one plays into it, uh, I think, a lot. Um, but after I got out of the Army in 1969, my wife Claire and I got married, and that's, that's almost 51 years ago. I, I worked for 12 years for a bank in Atlanta. I was about six years, I was in the property and casualty insurance business with with Joe Hamilton, who in the Hamilton family is an old name in our in our church. And, and um, then I got involved with a construction company that a friend of mine, a lifelong friend of mine had started, two, two friends had started, and I retired from that at the end of 2012. I was president of the company when I retired. So, and since then I've been involved in other not-for-profits and, and, and uh, uh, I was real involved in a club uh, on the board and as president. And so I've kept busy with that. And, my, our two married daughters and, and four grandchildren. So uh, I, I, let me say this, I never get bored in a given day. I always have something to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love your life, Ryan. Thank you very much for your, um, your service, um, who you are, what you mean to me, what you mean to St. Luke's. It's big. You are such a generous heart and spirit and soul. I'm really grateful. Thank you very much. That's a two-way street. I, I love the, the getting to know you and, and your being at, at the church and doing the things, that, the positive things that you're doing for, for the church in this tricky time that we're, that we're in. But let's agree that there, nothing in this world is easy. You know, everything is hard. Everything takes hard work and failure and getting up and dusting, your, dusting yourself off and putting a smile on your face and taking the next step. Right, Ed? Absolutely. Everything does take hard work and failure. Absolutely. Right. Getting back up. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. So now that we've got you introduced, I mean, we could go on and on and on. I love <laughs> the fact that I love the fact that the Benedict clan and the Alston clan and oh, so many other families are all connected with, with one another. At the, Gl the, the Glens. Yeah. And the Glens. Yeah. I mean, we could fill up an entire forum just talking about the map of your family and it, it would it would thrill me and let's get on to um, the the point at hand exactly. so so Brian nobody now I've been a priest for ages you know I I was ordained priest when Jesus was in the youth group and uh, <laughs> so I've been at it for a long time nobody has ever asked me to say no I really want to understand why you took your life took such a different turn than mine during Vietnam. Would you spend some time with me? And I said, wow, I'm on holy ground. So before we get into your telling your Vietnam story, I tell my Vietnam story. Can you talk just about how do you came up with that crazy idea for you and me to get together? Yeah, well, I saw in when you came to the church, when you came to St. Luke's, back to St. Luke's, uh, a year ago, how long have you been yeah, I, it's a little more than a year now. A little bit more than a year. A year and a half. I saw, I saw some printed material of that had your bio in it that said you were a conscientious objector during the Vietnam War. Well, I've never met. I said to myself, I've never met a conscientious objector. I don't know what a conscientious object, conscientious objector looks like. I don't know how a conscientious objector decided that they were a conscientious objector and then how they executed that to successfully become. I mean, what, what is that roadmap? How do you, you know, how, how do you do that, you know? And so that's what uh, led me to, to pester you into having a lunch, which was hard to get on your busy calendar as always. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you. I, I just want to, I'm making a list of really important points um, when you're having a conversation about differences of, opin of opinion. And I just want to point out to everybody who's viewing, and also um, it'd be fun to write an article about this sometime. Um, number one, I just want to record what a great sense of humor uh, you have and how playful you are. And then the second thing is that you're really interested in stories and the story of somebody's life. And what's the story behind how they chose to do something? So yeah. those are just two very important parts of the whole thing. Right, right. So I made the decision a long time ago that I wasn't having fun in life, or fun in what I was doing, that I was gonna stop doing it. Oh, Brian, that'll preach. Now that just may wind up in one of my sermons in the future, my friend. So having kind of set the table, um, let's get to the table. And if you don't mind, tell the kind of the first level of your story of going to Vietnam and how that happened. Okay, so that, that began, uh, that, that I was in the Army for, for about two years. And in 1967 is when I graduated from uh, college. And in 1967, immediately before I graduated, um, let me back up and say this, friends along the way, family members, friends had joined reserve units. That was, a, that was the way to kind of beat the draft, uh, uh, not, not avoid, but to participate in serving the country, but where you went for six months to some place and got trained and they had a six-year obligation. I decided not to drop out of school and do that and just go ahead and graduate. And then I would figure out uh, what I was going to do after that. Well, when I graduated, immediately before I graduated, uh, LBJ shut down all the reserve units. Um, when I graduated in 1967, the draft was was hard at it. I was had not gone through ROTC, so I was just a, a, a nobody with respect to the military. I was not married. At that time, you could get a military deferment. I was not going to business school or to law school. Which, which could get you a, a, a deferral. Uh, I had no physical issues. I was in good physical shape. I was, I was a prime draft candidate. So I shopped around in Atlanta in June and July of 1969, talked to the Army, the Navy, maybe the Air Force. Uh, uh, ended up in the Army. I joined the Army on what they call the college option program where you go through basic training and then infantry training, advanced infantry training, AIT is what they call it. And then you spend about six months in OCS, you become an officer, and then you have a two-year obligation. Uh, um, when in that program, I, I went through basic, I went through AIT, I was in New, New Jersey, uh, uh, north in cold weather, and I got some uh, upper rep respiratory problems. And I went to OCS the 1st of January, 1968. Uh, um, I got sick again in that program, and I was told, I ended up in the hospital for four or five or six days, and I was told that I had to start the whole program all over again. Well, I, it was at a point there where I said, I'd heck with this, because the college option program, if you dropped out anywhere along the way, all you had was a one-year, a two-year obligation from when you went in. And I decided to just drop out and take my chances. So uh, in dropping out, I, I became, I, I was a PFC, which is at the, you know, kind of a lower level of all people in the military. I was in E3, which is your, your rank, and I was an 11B10. An 11B10 is an infantryman. So I hung around the replacement detachment for a, a, about a month or so, 
and uh, I ended up on orders for Vietnam. In the meantime, as I had gone to summer school between the ninth and 10th grade, I've learned how to type and I got a secondary MOS. MOS is a military occupational skill. So my, my personnel file said, this guy's an infantryman, and you, uh, but he's also got a secondary skill of being a clerk typist. Uh, so uh, uh, ended up on, on, on about, uh, uh, really on about 51 years ago from today is when I really got to Vietnam, the second or third of July through San Francisco, Travis Air Force Base, uh, ended up at, uh, at Benoit, just outside of Saigon, and the replacement detachment, and I was assigned to the 25th Infantry Division, which is, uh, which has the, which takes care of the area to the northwest of Saigon, between Saigon and the Cambodian border, and through which the Ho, the Ho Chi Minh Trail uh, travels. Um, if you will, when the VC and the NVA used to come bomb uh, uh, Saigon and blow it up all the time, they would kind of come by Coochie Base Camp where I was. At the very last minute in my replacement, I went to the replacement detachment, uh, the, the, and the 25th Administration Battalion, where they process all the, do all the personnel stuff. And uh, fortunately, um, they had picked my records out and uh, I was had an interview with the captain that was in charge of personnel, and he uh, offered me a job of working in, in the office there, which I immediately took because if the next next day I would have come down on orders and I would have gone to the field and been a, a straight leg infantryman at six feet one inches, which I didn't like that, uh, out because uh, the VC were all over where I was and they were all over where I was for a year, so I, I, I ended up. I ended up being the person, in the year that I spent there, I ended up being the person that assigned E1s through E6s, which is Staff Sergeant down, that came in every day to the 25th Infantry Division to the, to the nine infantry units that we had. Six of them were straight legs out humping in the boonies and encountering the VC, and the other three were on uh, uh, those mechanized uh, tracks. Um, there were 15,000 enlisted men in the 25th Infantry Division. And uh, so uh, my job that I did for about nine, the nine months that I was there was to take the 10, 20, 50, 100 replacements we got in every day for, to replace the people that either completed their one year of service and went home, got wounded and, and were uh, medevac or got killed. So every day we were in touch with all these units and seeing who was having major issues. And then we would send the, the people out there, assign the troops, uh, and there were mostly 11 B-10s or mortar men, but we had uh, medics and supply and transport kind of people, aviation mechanics, or we had helicopters all over the place. So that is, so that, that's what I did. And I was, so I had a great job. It was fascinating and interesting and challenging and, and, uh, rewarding, uh, and, and I did that in, in, in a bad place. I had guard duty every sixth night, uh, approximately. And that's that scared the hell out of me every in the dark, just out there, all kind of bombs and and, and uh, uh, rockets and mortars. And our base camp kind of routinely got um, rocket and mortar attack. And uh, that, uh, I saw incredible stuff. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's that's kind of the big picture. That's, that's my short version. My long version 
would take the rest of the day. <laughs> and I love telling my long version too. Of course, of course. We love our stories. I do. Yeah. Well, people, if you don't tell your stories, then people don't know what happened, you know, what you did, you know. And, and the three million people that went over there, everybody's got their own different story, you know, and it's, it's special. I got a book on that, and I'll share that with you later on, okay? Good. Well, I mean, you've just underscored the kind of the core of having a conversation like this is if it's if it's not story based it's not going to go anywhere and yeah. there's not going to be any understanding and there's not going to be an appreciation of somebody else i mean i just really do appreciate how you came out and said this was a rewarding experience you know yeah oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean you had you had some close calls you're in the middle of bombing da -da 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 -da. nevertheless well my story and this was what you helped me understand is that um, I'm only, you know, a couple of years younger than you are. And what happened at the national level really had an impact on me personally, because you had a situation where LBJ had done away with the reserve stuff. And here you were draftable immediately here. You were going to go. And what happened to me that was comparable is You'll remember that we bombed Cambodia during the Vietnam War, and when that was announced, when that was revealed, then uh, there were some protests going on at college campuses, and the really tough one was at um, when reserve officers came onto a campus and killed at Kent State. At Kent State, yeah. That was awful students. It was just absolutely horrible. And there were kind of two issues, using the military against our own citizens, which has come up recently. And then the other thing was about uh, the, the illegality in certain areas of certain things that happened in the war. Nevertheless, the impact, the direct impact on me is that as soon as those Kent State kids were killed, in 1970, it was May 4, I think, in right, right. Then all of the campuses erupted. I was in law school at Vanderbilt. I had gone through ROTC. I had a second lieutenant status, all on and on and on. And um, so I went to my first ever peace rally. I'd never heard of such a thing. But and then said you, you got you got a a law school deferment, right? I did. I was deferred. Yeah. Precisely. And that's a huge part of this story. I love your interrupting me and clar clarifying that. That's really, really important. And, and um, so I went and there was this campus minister, a Methodist minister, a chaplain for Vanderbilt. And he said, everybody here has a deferment. Everybody here is to some degree privileged and protected. And he said, if it weren't for your being here, then likely you would be fighting in Vietnam or you would have to declare yourself about Vietnam. You, you, you may be here, you haven't thought it through. Well, that was the case for me. I would thought it through and in my back pocket, I had a draft card and the draft number was number four. And I knew that I would be going to Vietnam and that I needed to figure out where I stood on this thing. And it was the first time I had heard of the word solidarity, that you have to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else 
and figure out what you would do if you were walking in their shoes and particularly being identified with people who don't have the deferments that you have and right. don't have the privilege that you have. Well, I went to his office after this rally and I said, man, you got me. I need to figure this thing out. Do you have some books? And he threw a, a, a mimeographed uh, bibliography at me and I picked it up and there was one book that really leapt out and it was the book called Faith and Violence by Thomas Merton. Never heard of Thomas Merton. This was three years after he had died. And I read him cover to cover. And by the next January, I was ready to say, I don't believe in war in any form. And I am going to see if I can get named a conscious objector. So I had to fill out all this, this tome of a, of a reform. And it was a little book about me and all that. And then I had to go to Fort Bragg, be interviewed by an army psychiatrist, an army chaplain, and, and then an army officer who had fought in Vietnam. And mm -hmm. all three had to agree that I really did believe what I said I believed. And then I had to go back to my home selective service board in Jessup, Georgia where they had never had anybody apply for a country's objector status ever. And they tried to talk me out of it. And they knew my mom and daddy because everybody in Jessup knows everybody else. And they said, son, <laughs> don't you know your mom and daddy gonna be embarrassed? And don't you wanna, <laughs> don't you wanna be a mech, a, a, a medevac or a, you know, a medi medical assistant? So, so no, 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 I thought this through. So anyway, they gave it to me. So I had all sorts of really great benefits that came out of that just like you had great benefits right. that came out of your service and i had to serve an alternative service i taught children in a learning disabled school a school for learning disabilities disabled children and so it was it was just really really good so that i really appreciated when we had our conversation first you're giving me the space to reflect and think about kind of what things had impacted me that influenced me and then you had done the same thing and i really really appreciated that about our conversation it was it was a great it was a great lunch it, it was gonna it lasted about two and a half hours <laughs> we were both late for the next thing <laughs> that's exactly true and then i, I want to talk about what we talked about all the way home because that was that was a part of it too as well but let's just stay with it now okay so, how, as somebody, Brian, who's 150 years old by now, no, you're not that old, are you? Uh, <laughs> I'm getting close. <laughs> I'm halfway there. <laughs> halfway there. But as a, as a mature person who's reflected back on your life, can you just talk about, I mean, Vietnam has been just a huge historic marker for every American who lived through it and since because a lot of our culture wars are still about fighting that uh, war. But right. can you just kind of reflect on what it's been for you to be a Vietnam veteran? Well, uh, I th that's, that's, that's a good question. And I, I would say it makes you value every day uh, more than uh, perhaps you wouldn't. That, that's, Everybody should value every day they have in life. 
Right. And uh, it, uh, it, one thing about being a Vietnam vet, everybody I've ever talked to, it's, it's the kind of thing that it stays with you all the time. You know, you can't, it's with you, people that go to, that had a military experience like that, they, and then it's not exclusive to Vietnam. It's, I'm sure the people that were in Afghanistan and, and Korea and you name it, you think about it every day. So it's, it's, it's a part of you that is just kind of always hanging back there. Um, and uh, um, uh, I, think, I think there's a lot of people that had a far more difficult experience than I had there that have worse, have, have demons and, and um, have, uh, can't talk about it or don't want to talk about it. And I appreciate that. And I think that's, that's, that's their privilege. And, and, I, and I understand that. Um, so it, it um, I, I, if I answered your question. You did. In fact, it, you, you answered it in such a way that I was, I really was deeply moved. When you said, I think about it every day, that moved me deeply, Brian, because, um, wow, I, I think that a lot of people who served in Vietnam or who had came back with PTSD yeah, or who were POWs. I had an uncle who was a POW during World War II. Yeah. And he lived with that every day. Um, and on and on and on, um, we need as Americans, as members of the human family, we need to keep in mind that everybody is carrying with them something they think about every day. Yeah. And sometimes it haunts them every day. And sometimes it, it's a struggle every day. I, I really appreciate your saying that. Yeah, you did answer my question. Yeah. Well, um, it, it, was, it was just such an incredible year that it, it just, it's just, you know, there. So Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. But so my counterpart would be to say that, um, yeah, in, in one way, and not, I think, as maybe painfully, but nevertheless, in one way or another, I, I think about that, that six-month moment in my life when I went from, or a year moment, from being an Army officer through ROTC, through walking out of law school and going to the ROTC office on the campus of Vanderbilt and asking for, I'll, I, I think one of the scariest things I ever did was to go up to this tough looking staff sergeant who was staffing the ROTC office at the Vanderbilt campus and saying, uh, 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 sir, would you uh, 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 hand me uh, yeah. a conscious objector application? And I thought, oh my Lord, am I gonna fall through the middle of the earth? And he was not happy about handing it to me. Right. But then that whole process of doing it and then I think I told you that, so everybody who's listening uh, who might not know about the history of St. Luke's, uh, so I was on staff when I was a kid and got ordained, I was trained and ordained at, at St. Luke's. And um, the rector under whom I served was named Dan Matthews Sr. And um, so the bishop had sent me to Dan to say, okay, you're gonna get trained there. And uh, so you've got to, interview Dan, Dan's got to interview you, and then Dan said, and 
you're going to have to be interviewed by the vestry. And I'm, oh. oh my God. And then I thought, <laughs> am I going to tell this vestry that I was, I am a conscious objector? And I said to Dan, and he wouldn't let me off. He didn't solve any of my problems. He says, you know, Ed, that's really up to you whether you're going to tell the vestry that or not. <laughs> so I gulped that night and I told them. And Brad Curry was the senior warden. And he said, I, and I think it would, I think it's wonderful for us to have a, a young man of such integrity and thought. Yeah. And I thought, oh my gosh, what was that about? That was grace, you know, so. So what else should I ask you? What else did we talk about um, at lunch that day? Cause it was a, it was a fast two and a half hours. Right. But what else should we unpack either from your story or mine? I'll say this from my story. I'll, I'll say that over the years, I've had lots of people that didn't serve at all yep. or that or that ended up going to Germany or something, ex express regret to me, almost apology to me. I'm not saying this happens all the time. At the fact that they didn't go have that experience. And I've always said to people, wait a minute, you know, everybody, you, you, pl you play the hand you're dealt. And, and, uh, in this situation, everybody was looking for some way to either, a lot of people look for a way to get into it. A lot of people try to find a way to go sideways or get out of it. And that's, you know, that's just the way it was. And that's the way, that's the way people are. So um, I, I don't, I don't hold anybody in, in any way about what they did or didn't do. You yeah. Know? And, and I loved your story because it made complete sense. Yeah. And, and, and your story is tied to, 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 to the grim things that were gone, going on over there and in the country. Right. It made the, you flipped the switch that said, wait a minute, this is, this is not right. And, and um, it, um, uh, I've read a lot of books in the last, let's say, 15 years on just the history of the whole of the war and how we got there. And it, it, it it's just, it was kind of, a, it was a mistake. Um, and um, it, it got out of control and, and we just kind of ended up where it was. And, and, but you can't change that. So. Right. That's that right. Happened and that's, so let's all go, let's all go on to the next thing. Right. Indeed. Indeed. And, and we must go on to the next thing. The question, I have, and we didn't talk about this at lunch that day, but I really want to tap your wisdom here, is, you know, our country right now seems so divided and so polarized, and some of it is about war, some of it is about Vietnam, some of it is about other things. Yeah. What, I know you are a thoughtful, reflective person, what, what's your thinking about our moving ahead and find, trying to find a way to move together, move ahead together, rather than move ahead divided? I don't know. I don't know what the specific answer is. I keep kind of looking for. Okay, now that we all this has happened, then then what do we do next? And and nobody seems to have. Well, here's here's what we ought to do. I can say that in your lifetime, in our lifetimes, we've seen change uh, in, in the in the arena of race uh, of of huge proportion. Yes. Uh, and and um, um, there's obviously still work to do. Right. Um, so, um, ah, I'm getting my mind wondering now. Um, 
but the whole thing about moving forward yeah and and moving forward together if we can yeah. how do we heal our divisions how do we how do we do that do you have some wisdom to share I, 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 time heals time going by and right. everybody kind of resetting the clock and saying okay here's what happened so why did it happen and trying to figure out what we need to do well obviously the first thing everybody needs to tighten down on on the police uh, yes throughout the country so that's that's an easy thing but how do we solve inadequate uh, health care and how do we solve inadequate education opportunities um, on and on and on I'll say that uh, and that list is longer than just those couple of things to how do we get better housing how do we how do, how do we make things better for people that that have more of a challenge and 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 just getting through every day right um, and but but in just in my I mean, to the question of, or to the point of the divisions in the country, the, the political divisions, if you include that, you know, there's, I, don't, I don't think it's ever been a time in, in history that you haven't had huge political yeah. conflict and divisions. And I'm reading a book in my, in my book club on, on Harry Truman and Douglas MacArthur, and I've just gotten in and Truman's dissing the media because they, they don't tell the truth about what he says, you know, and and I've read a book, you, know, you could read all kind of history. I read this book on, I can't, it was, it was, it was about England getting into the, into the, into World War One and building ships in the late 1890s, early 1900s. It was called Dreadnought. And they just, they, they had, the, a large part of the book was how the political party, one party just eviscerated the other party and all the, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's that, it's, that's just kind of like, Man, you know, you, you have we have these national elections and people win them by small margins. That means half the people don't like the bums that are in, and half the people do like the bums that are in. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, well, you're also bringing up for me the issue of having some humility. Um, you know, uh, we we are having a tough time, and I think it I think it's a turning point. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And I've lived. You and I have lived through several turning points and this pandemic may yeah. be the biggest may, may be the biggest turning point we've ever lived through last night i was listening to some person who said you know the entire planet is caught up in this thing and it's changed it's going to wind up changing absolutely everybody on the planet in some way and it's the first time in maybe more than 100 years that something has changed the whole planet that was not a war it's right. caring right. about one another and the health of one another. And I wear a mask so you won't get sick and you wear a mask so I won't get sick. And blah, blah, blah. Somebody just told me in a meeting that she wanted to, yeah, there you go, you got your mask right. <laughs> Which is better, with it or without it? <laughs> Don't your, answer that question. There's your great sense of humor. Uh, but, but there was this woman who was saying, you know, I want a mask that says, when I put it on, it says, I'm wearing this for you, uh, yeah. you know, and the whole notion of our staying healthy for one another, we're right. staying healthy for ourselves, yes, because we don't want to die, and we're also doing this so we don't spread it, and there's this vision of our being interwoven and interconnected, and how we can't separate ourselves, it's crazy. The yeah. claim that we are separate beings, interconnected and somewhat dependent upon the, the other person. Indeed, right? We are so interdependent and so yeah. 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 
Um, but before I go to this next set of questions, and yeah. I do know I've got to wrap this up pretty soon. Um, so are you getting involved in conversations with people who disagree with you culturally or politically or theologically? Or is, is that coming into your life these days at all? You're talking about other than my wife? <laughs> Uh, I take that there, back. There is that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean, I did, whoever's watching this, don't repeat that, okay? No, 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 we're not repeating it. This, this won't be seen by anybody. I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Not, not, I, I take it back. Yeah, yes, people that have a different viewpoint or see things differently. Yeah, of course. I've got, I've got children in their 40s, you know? They don't, they don't have the same lens that I have. They see things uh, differently and they have, they have kids. Uh, yeah. So, um, I, I, everybody that I encounter is not walking down the same path. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I want to make an observation about what happened on our day. Yeah. Um, so we got in the car. I mean, I really felt that something had deepened in our relationship, right. that it really had become a friendship that, you know, you were, you were sitting in the pew listening to or putting up with my sermons for a year. You know, listening to, listening to, not putting up, <laughs> A, not B. <laughs> and um, however, we went from priest parishioner, I think, to friendship. And I, I mean, agree. I would call you and, you know, say anything. And it was so wonderful on the way home in the, we were in your car, you were taking me back to church, and we started talking about preaching. And right. you started telling me about what made for good sermons and what made for not so interesting sermons. Um, what I remember, I want you to say what you remember. But what I remember it was, Ed, I really perk up when you start in a sermon telling a story about yourself. Right. That's right. <laughs> I remember that conversation crystal clearly. So, because we, I think we had reached a, a level of honesty with each other. Right. I said that to you because I said I said that to you, um, um, in in confidence. But I said that to you because because I believe that when when whenever a, a preacher begins a sermon by telling a story of something that happened to them or something that happened in the world or in the neighborhood that that then leads to a a, a lesson or an observation on life a, a better understanding uh, wherever it leads it, it it's it's impactful and meaningful and it gets my attention i, I pay more attention that's i said to you well, something like that right that's exactly what you said. Yeah. And then we won't repeat the following, but then we got into talking about people behind their backs. And right. I just thought that was fun. That was wonderful. Yeah. yeah that, that was, uh, why don't we change the subject right now? <laughs> I know exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you go, yeah, we, we did do that. We were, we were, uh, I was Frank and, and, and you were Frank. And we absolutely. were. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If I remember correctly, you, you agreed with me. <laughs> you're absolutely right I do yeah. I, I really do agree with you about that and I yeah. think that um, what we can do is we can 
market this video and we could make a whole bunch of boring uh, priests into scintillating preachers just by listening to our advice that we do. <laughs> Well, Brian, I'm so grateful to you for this. I'm grateful to you for you and for Claire. Thank God she keeps you in line. And um, for your membership over all of these um, more than 100 years, it seems like. You're right? And yeah, you're, Brian. Brian. Yeah, not you personally. And uh, uh, but, exactly. but you're just, you're just a, a gift to me. And to St. Luke's and to the world, and I'm grateful to you. Well, you're a gift to St. Luke's. Let me say that I said that earlier in this conversation. And thank you. You're 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 a, gift, you're a gift to your trade. Thank. Oh, wow. Thank yeah, you. You, that? you. You are. You know. You and you and, and you're still full life and still full of vigor and and uh, at your at your advanced age. <laughs> so. You, so, like somebody said, you, you, you've got some more gas in your tank, you know? I do. Yeah, very. I love that. I've never yeah, got, got some more gas in my tank. So um, any any final words you want to share? No, I, I've enjoyed this. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to participate. I think it's important that people uh, know stories about, about uh, what happened during that, happened to people at that point in time. And, and uh and how it, it influenced their, their lives and yeah. or, or led them in direction. So, um. yeah, I think my only closing thought is in every relationship, in every encounter, let's just all remember there's a story inside that other yeah. person. And, 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 and sometimes it's a story about which they think every day. And yeah. it behooves us if we really want to walk the talk of becoming one and unified and not polarized and divided, take time to listen. To listen, to listen, exactly. To the stories. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you, my brother. I hope you have All a right. great day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Be back with us next Sunday. Really glad you were here. <laughs>